Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. This morning, our, um, <clears throat> our format is going to be a little little different because we are going to take communion at the end of service. So through uh, worship songs interspersed in the next few moments and readings and prayers, we want to focus our heart and our attention upon the sacrifice of Jesus. We're going to have testimonies and worship. So I want to say to you, this is not, you know, uh, you're not coming as a spectator to watch what happens here today. We want you to participate. We want you to worship. We want you to, uh, to sing. We want you to listen closely to the readings. We want you to pray and open your heart. This is not a religious ritual that we are going through. This is a communion service to remind us of our living Lord and to point people, to remind us about his sacrifice, but to point people to Christ. So I want Brad to come. He's going to start with a scripture reading. So let's, uh, let, let's have church through the Lord's table this morning. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, it's Isaiah chapter 53. I'm reading out of the Living Bible translation, starting in verse 2. It says, In God's eyes, he was like a tender green shoot, sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. But in our eyes, there was no attractiveness at all, nothing to make us want him. We despised him and rejected him, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our grief he bore, our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed and we were healed. We, every one of us, have strayed away like sheep. We who left God's path to follow our own. Yet God laid on him the guilt and sins of every one of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he never said a word. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he stood silent before the ones condemning him. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people of that day realized it was their sins that he was dying for, that he was suffering their punishment? He was buried like a criminal, but in a rich man's grave, but he had done no wrong and had never spoken an evil word. But it was the Lord's good plan to bruise him and fill him with grief. However, when his soul has been made an offering for sin, then he shall have a multitude of children, many heirs. He shall live again, and God's program shall prosper in his hands. Hi, I'm Natasha Hurt, and I have a communion reading from Max Licato, The Passion, The Pain, The Promise. 
It's nearly midnight when they leave the upper room and descend through the streets of the city. They pass the lower pool and exit the fountain gate and walk out of Jerusalem. The roads are lined with the fires and tents of Passover pilgrims. Most are asleep and full from the evening meal. Those still awake think of the band of men they see walking down the road. They pass through the valley and ascend the path which will take them to Gethsemane. The road is steep, so they stop to rest. Somewhere within the city walls, the twelfth apostle darts down a street. His feet have been washed by the man he will betray. His heart has been claimed by the evil one he has heard. He runs to find Caiaphas. The final encounter of the battle has begun. As Jesus looks at the city of Jerusalem, he sees what his disciples can't. It is here, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, that the battle will end. He sees the staging of Satan. He sees the evil one preparing for the final encounter. The enemy looks with joy over this hour. Satan has seized the heart of Judas and whispered in the ear of Caiaphas. Satan, the master of death, has opened the caverns and prepared to receive the source of light. Hell is breaking loose. History records it as the battle of the Jews against Jesus. It wasn't. It was the battle of God against Satan, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that before the war was over, he would be taken captive. He knew that before victory would come defeat. He knew that before the throne would come the cup. He knew that before the light of Sunday would come the blackness of Friday. And he is afraid. He turns and begins the final ascent into the garden. When he reaches the entry, he stops and he turns his eyes towards his circle of friends. He knew it would be the last time that he sees them before they abandon him. He knows what they will do when the soldiers come. He knows their betrayal is only minutes away. He is only a few hours from his final walk. Follow his steps from Jericho to Jerusalem, from the temple to the garden, from the garden to the trial, from Pilate's palace to Gagatha's cross, watch him walk angrily to the temple, wearily into Gethsemane, painfully up the Via Dolorosa, and powerfully out of the vacated tomb. As you witness his walk, reflect on your own, for all of us have our own walk to Jerusalem. Never forget your walk or Jesus' final walk, for it was this walk that promised you freedom. His final walk through the temple of Jerusalem, for it was on this walk that he denounced hollow religion. His walk to the Mount of Olives, for it was there that he promised to return and take you home. And his final walk from Pilate's palace to Golgotha's cross, bare, bloody feet, struggling up a stony, narrow path. But just as vivid as the pain of the beam across his raw back is his vision of you and him walking together. He could see the hour he would come into your life, into your darkness, to awaken you out of your sleep and guide you to freedom. But the walk isn't over. The journey isn't complete. There is one more walk that must be made. 
I will come back, he promised. And to prove it, he ripped into the temple curtain and split open the doors of death. He will come back. Thank you. 
on, church. Won't you sing it out today? I don't want anyone else. Come on, won't you stand in the worship this morning? all we need. There is no substitute. Relationships, happiness, money, 401ks, uh, vocational successes. Lord, we don't need any of that. None of it is filling or lasting. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you this morning. Amen. 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 You may be seated today. Thank you, Lord. When we talk about 
grace and faith and forgiveness and regeneration and second chances, those are not just theological theories. They're not just platitudes that, that are studied in Bible colleges and seminaries. But we believe in the life-changing encounter that people have with Jesus. That you hear, but not only that, man, that you can encounter God's presence, God's power, and you can have a life change. And I want Larry Noda and I want Olivia Newsom. I want them to come to the stage. Would you give them a hand? They're going to share their story this morning. Amen. Amen. So Larry is kind of uh, not a stranger to our, our church here, been here a long time. So Larry, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you worked and all that. I believe all things are possible with Jesus Christ. He's got the clock, so let's get going. Okay, born in 1952, St. Augustine, Florida. Been a Florida boy all my life. My dad moved around, he was an accountant, and so we lived in different places where you could do some accounting. We ended up in Tallahassee in 1963. So you do the math, you can tell how old I was. Um, it was an interesting place. Uh, been to Catholic schools all along. Uh, there are Catholics everywhere. Uh, they are good people and they have good educational systems. So I got a good education. Um, public school experience, no Catholic high school back in the, uh, in the day. So I went to Leon High School and participated in a number of good things. Uh, had some good experiences, went to Auburn for two years on a partial track scholarship. Membership War. is revoked. It's revoked. A war eagle. And uh, came back to Tallahassee and graduated. So in Tallahassee back then, the employer of note was state government. So 35 years in state government as an accountant, auditor, inspector general. Uh, Pam is here. She's my wife of 45 years. We have two. Yep. Apparently, that's kind of unusual. Yeah. Sometimes when I say that, everybody gasps. Yeah. Yeah. It is possible. The art of compromise is yeah. probably a good thing. To so, think. Larry, were you raised? You, you made reference to it. You were raised in a religious background, religious home. Exactly. Strong. I was raised as a Catholic, strong uh, Catholic family, parents grandparents on both sides, everybody Catholic. And so in the Catholic Church, I became an altar boy because that's what a guy would do. Leader of the altar boys, uh, uh, one of the nuns wrote a letter, sent it to Notre Dame University, and I became altar boy of the year in 1967. Very close to the Lord, very close to the Lord. So close, devout in my beliefs, I actually thought about being a priest. And uh, then one day, what happened to me is I noticed something about an aspect of God's creation I hadn't really paid attention to, and that would be girls. <laughs> <laughs> P 
priesthood out the door, priesthood and girls don't mix. Uh, and, and while that sounds funny, looking back on it, that's when I started wandering away from God, I do believe. Yeah, so Larry, you've got this religious heritage foundation. What was it that kind of turned you where you started considering maybe Jesus separate from tradition and rituals? Kind of what was that part of your life like? Yeah. Well, what happened is once you get a little space, you go away to college and whatnot, uh, I started questioning some of my Catholic beliefs. And, uh, mm, you know, I could just tell that, may, and this is the terminology for later, I think God hardened my heart about religion. Because that's a word that's kind of a negative word. Um, so what happened is, I began a selfish pursuit of things and activities that were in direct opposition to God. And, uh, you know, that's how I got away from it all. Um, what happened was I found myself internally, I was wounded, I was alone, I was unhappy on the inside. On the outside, people couldn't tell, you know. I was uh, happy-go-lucky. I was shocking in <laughs> words and actions. I was bold. And that dichotomy indicated there was a problem. But thankfully, uh, God wasn't done with me. Right. He was always there. Right. So how did it happen for you? Was it in a church where you by yourself? That moment that the light comes on uh -huh. and uh, the, the relationship with Jesus really comes personal with you? Well, um, as most people, it wasn't a light switch kind of a situation. No. I started... The Holy Spirit, of course, I didn't know the terminology, but the Holy Spirit was working on me, and it worked. I knew who my Christian friends were, so I started asking them questions, and, and they didn't hesitate to answer. And so God was pursuing me, and he put me in an apartment complex at, at a swimming pool where Pam Kuntz was. And Pam was going to Oak City Assembly of God Generations Church at the time. And so courtship begins. I know she's not going to go down my path. So if I was going <laughs> to stick with her, I'm going to have to come here. So that's how I ended up here, but not a snapshot thing. I sat there for two years, over two years, listening to Pastor Creel tell me the truth. And it took a little over two and a half years for the word to get in there and change a stony heart to a heart that had a hunger for God. Yeah. And how long have you been serving God? How many years? Uh, I can't count that high, and I'm a CPA. Uh, <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. 1979 is okay. uh, when I gave my heart to the Lord. It was in the spring. Yeah. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, same year yeah. later on. Been serving ever since. Yeah, that's great. Larry? What would you say to someone out there? Maybe they come from a similar background or maybe they come from an evangelical background. They're just growing up with ritual, routine, punch the clock, go to church. What would you say to that individual about considering faith in Jesus? Uh, I knew he was going to ask me that question. And I think God kind of gave me what to say. But what I want you to know, whether you're in here watching on TV, God knows where you are. Not in a negative sense, but he knows where you are and he hadn't forgot about you. 
Next thing I want you to know is uh, look around here, where you work, where you go to school, and listen because God just might be trying to get your attention and he would want you to pay attention. Yeah. The third thing is get in a Bible-believing church. That's what happened to me, Bible-believing church. This is a good one. There's a few other ones, yeah. but the idea is get in it and stay in it. Uh, Pam has been in this church longer than we've been married, yeah. and me pretty close. That's important. And then know this. These bodies have an expiration date. You get older, you realize, you start looking at the date. Oh, is this it? And so you don't know. And there's no reason not to take that step of faith now. But if it's not now, you stick in church, you listen to this guy. He's a teacher. He's got the heart of the Lord. And make a decision. Amen. Larry, thank you for sharing your story this morning. Olivia? This is Olivia Newsome. Olivia, Olivia, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you work, all that. Okay, so I'm Olivia Newsome. Most of you probably don't know me because, as you saw, I am in the back for most services. Um, I am married to this lovely man right here, Michael Newsome, for a year and a half now. Um, I was born in Coral Springs, Florida, and moved to a small town called Palm City. Um, that's on the east coast of Florida. And then I moved to Tallahassee to go to school at Florida State. Nothing um, wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. You can I, be a member here, there, you know. So. He accepts us. Um, I got my undergrad and grad there, and now I actually work for the university at the Alumni Association as the Assistant Director of Membership and Marketing. And she can get free tickets to football games, too. That so. is not true. Okay, it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot, you know. So, Olivia, Larry gave his story of kind of being raised in religious upbringing. Yours maybe is a little different than that. Tell us about kind of your upbringing, your early years. So I did not grow up in a Christian family. Um, my parents weren't against religion, but it just wasn't something that we prioritized. Um, that's not to say that we weren't good moral people. We were a very strong family unit, but I just didn't go to church. Um, I remember growing up in elementary school and seeing students go to CCD, I think it was, which was an after-school activity, and I wondered why I wasn't a part of that. Um, that fast forwards to when I was 16 years old, um, that kind of goes into your next question. Um, but something really traumatic happened in my life um, since my family and I were so close. Nothing really could break us apart, but something really traumatic happened. Um, my go parents ahead. got Just divorced, go yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and um, that was really hard for us. So I lived with my mom. My dad kind of went on out on his own, um, and I just lost that relationship with my father. So today, it's a great relationship, but I went through a lot of lonely times. I went to college on my own um, without that father figure who I really held on a pedestal before the divorce happened. So it was kind of a lonely time. So I pushed everybody away from me. Um, I worked for Starbucks at the time, which is actually where I met Michael. I was his boss. Um, <laughs> it was really inappropriate, but <laughs> it's a great story. Um, one five-minute conversation with him, and um, he was already in church. He grew up in a church with his grandparents, um, and he was preaching one Sunday, and he asked me to go to church with our really good friend, Mindy, and it must have been a great message because ever since then, I have been in the church serving. Um, it was kind of just an yeah. unknown moment. I just came to church, and 
I never left. Olivia, you were going through a lot of brokenness, a lot of uh, issues in your life. What was it maybe about the gospel message that just kind of landed in your heart? So this may sound selfish, but it wasn't necessarily scripture and it wasn't necessarily a sermon that really spoke to me. It was the community of the church. Um, and I think a lot of times as a new believer, we get so overwhelmed by having to know scripture, having to reference it, having to know the Bible. And for me, it was seeing the community love on me and show me the love of Jesus. And that's really kind of what kept me in the church. Um, as a college student, I was so distracted by studying and friends and adding another reading to my life was kind of intimidating. So I kind of just leaned into the community instead of reading right off the bat. Yeah. So, you know, that I think that's an important, you know, thing for us to remember. Sometimes it's not the message or the worship. Sometimes it's the interaction with people before and after church or greeting them. You know, when they come in or just a kind word or new people to your, you know, to your small group. So, Olivia, what would you say to someone who maybe comes from maybe a non-religious background or maybe they've just had a lot of turmoil and upheaval uh, in their life? What would you say to those individuals maybe about considering faith in Jesus? So I kind of went back to my story, yeah. what I leaned into um, when I was becoming involved in the church, and that was the community. So maybe if you're unsure of if church is where you want to go or how you want to pursue your life or give your life to Jesus, I think that just give the people a chance in the church first to love on you, whatever you may be going through. It, it doesn't have to be 50 people, but one person maybe you can just kind of hone in on and let them love on you and show you that we're here for you. You know, I think we can be so overwhelmed by judgment in a moment, and I think you just kind of need to trust and then let God do the rest. Um, I think we become so overwhelmed, like I said, in Israel, by planting a seed, fertilizing the seed, watering it, making sure that it's coming to life. And instead, as a believer, we just need to plant the seed in that new person and just let God do the rest. Amen. Give Olivia a hand. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. So whether you're kind of in the church, been around the church, you've grown up knowing a lot about it. <clears throat> we don't arrive at salvation because we've reached a certain attendance percentage or a base knowledge of scriptures. You know, it's about, you know, uh, coming to the point where you open yourself up to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you come from a non-religious background and you don't know anything about the church. You don't know anything. You're not sure about what's going on. It doesn't matter. You know, that's why I wanted you to hear these stories today. Uh, it is about just opening your heart up and allowing God to just work, you know, just work in your heart. Amen. Let's sing. the city and none would come close but you wouldn't let go what a work back there 
will work again Cause I know the blood is still the blood I had an issue no one could help I tried them all my last try I groaned what worked back then will work again cause I know the blood is still the blood come on we sing it out and oh how precious how beautiful this priceless love I've come to know though in the midst of my darkest storm I know the blood is still the
It should have been me. Come on, church. He took my place. <laughs> Lord, it should have been, but shouldn't want it, God. You took my place. It should have been. And I'm so thankful today because you took my place. When it should have been me, for my sins, Lord, you took my him this morning Lord we worship you thank you for the shed blood of Jesus thank you Lord for your sacrificial death amen amen you can be seated as I as I mentioned earlier last week we had a team that was visiting the Holy Land and one of the places that we visited was Golgotha it was the skull hill the place of crucifixion and we had the opportunity to go uh, visit there and it, it's a very emotional kind of a jarring moment when the page of scripture just kind of comes to life and you realize that you are with great probability the the place of Jesus uh, crucifixion and so we were watching that and whether it was on top of the hill or the bottom of the hill you know just you know it didn't matter just it was just a very sobering moment this place Golgotha is outside of the city of Jerusalem and it of that time and it would a common road that they still travel today was uh, right in front of this of this hill of Calvary and uh, you know, uh, it was it was meant to be a place where passerbyers would come, and that the executions that took place at Golgotha would be a deterrent by the Roman uh, soldiers and the Roman government to Jewish people for insurrection and huge, you know, kind of crimes against the the state. So I I've been there multiple times, but there's another part of the scene that caught my attention. Adjacent to Golgotha is a bus station. The city of Jerusalem has a bus terminal at the bottom of the hill. 
It's loud. It's filled with horns and fumes. And even as we were having a moment of prayer, it was hard to, you know, it was hard to focus. So what we have is a, a very ironic scene that in the shadow of the location of the greatest act of love known to humanity, in the shadow of that is simple commerce. People traveling to work, going to school, changing, changing buses, unmoved, unconcerned, unfocused about the message of love that's right over their shoulder, 50, 75 yards. This kind of irony is not unusual to, unfortunately, to people of faith. And the time of the ark was being built. In the shadow of the ark, Jesus said people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in, giving in marriage, weren't even focused at all on, on what was occurring in their in their presence at the time of the temple the beautiful temple Solomon's temple where the presence of God was at out in the courtyard there were money changers there was commerce that was happening in the midst of this place of God's presence where just people just you know kind of missing the moment just kind of going about their business business as usual the same with Golgotha as we watched and people coming in and changing buses in the, the shadow of this great place. Well, you know, we have that kind of in our country today. We have churches on every corner, steeples and crosses. We have music and podcast and as much gospel as there's ever been in humanity. Uh, free, you know, uh, but, but people don't pay attention sometimes. They're just going about their work, their play. Some don't know about the message of the gospel. Some ignore it. Some have forgotten it. Just go about life not thinking or considering about their own individual and personal relationship with God. Just kind of going through life. And sometimes it's only trial, tragedy, having an upheaval in your life or a death before people wake up and just start to go, hey, there may be a bigger picture in my life than just working, picking up a check, you know, uh, just going, going through the routine. You just kind of, kind of do that. But there's a passage that speaks to me, and I think it speaks to this moment here. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it reminds us that it doesn't matter about the stage of life that you find yourself in, good or bad. God was thinking about you. And he never stopped thinking about you. This passage says... He demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, while we're doing our own thing, living our own life in our own way, Christ died for us. He was not standing idly by 
while we were doing our own thing, living our own life, making mistakes, doing whatever, <clears throat> he was preparing salvation through the cross of Jesus and he's waiting, uh, waiting on us patiently so that we will turn to him. He demonstrated his love. It wasn't a speech. You know, it wasn't a, you know, just something written. But he literally gave his life for us. So whether you're close to God or not, whether you're in church or not, religious or not, prosperous or broke, maybe your life is all together, maybe your life is all shattered and, and broken into pieces and you're trying to figure out what is next. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, he died. He didn't wait for the moral evolution, for us to try to get a little better, a little, you know, a little, little closer to God while we were in our broken state doing our own thing. <clears throat> he died. And as we approach the moment of communion in just a second, if you're here today, you're away from God. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe your life is in a shamble. Maybe you're one of those that's like a prodigal. Man, you've been in church. You know better. But man, you've, you've gone out there and you've made some mistakes and errors. You know, and just, you know, you just feel like maybe you've gone too far. I want to tell you that communion is not just for the believers, but communion is for those that are far off, okay? You know, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you don't have to know a lot about the Bible. You don't have to know, you know, a lot of, a lot of theology at all. But over the next few moments, I want you to pray and just say, Lord, maybe I've made a mess of my life. Lord, I've been away from you. Lord, I need you in my life. Just very simple. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you do that, he can forgive you. He can save you. He can restore your heart and your life if you'll just give him that opportunity. Good morning. My name is Kelsey, and I'm going to be reading a scripture today and leading us in a prayer as we prepare to take communion. And there's also going to be some others that come up, and they're going to lead in the same prayer but in a different language to represent the nations. And following those prayers, um, Pastor Brian is going to come back up, and he'll lead us in taking the emblems together. But I'm going to be reading out of Hebrews 9. Now the old covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, 
which had the golden altar of incense in the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room and had that only once a year and never without the blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I think it's going to be on the screen if you just want to pray that with me. Lord Jesus, I have received you into my heart and life, and having accepted your death as penalty for my sinfulness, I come in humility for you to examine my heart today. Reveal any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering my relationship with you. As I take the bread representing your life that was broken for me, I remember and celebrate your faithfulness to me and to all who will receive you. I take this cup representing your blood poured out from the cross I realize that you were the supreme sacrifice for all of my sin, past, present, and future. Because of your blood shed for me and your body broken for me, I am free from the power and penalty of sin. Thank you for your victory over death. And today I remember and celebrate the precious gift of abundant internal life in Jesus' name. Good morning, church. My name is Esther Nemasi, and I'm going to say the communion prayer in Swahili, which is my native language from Tanzania. This will represent a billion people who live in my native continent of Africa. Let's pray. Bwana Yesu, nimekupokea moyoni na maisha ni mwangu kwa kukubali kifo chako kwa ajili ya dhambi zangu. Leo nakuja kwa unyenyekevu unichunguze moyo wangu nionyeshe dhambi yoyote ambayo sijaungama kiburi haukutokusamee inayozuia mahusiano yangu na wewe 
Napochukua mkate kuwakilisha mwili wako uliotolewa msalabani kwa ajili yangu na kumbuka na kusherekea uaminifu wako kwangu na kwa wote watakao kupokea nachukua kikombe hiki kuwakilisha damu yako iliyomwagika msalabani natambua kuwa wewe ulikuwa sadaka kuu kwa ajili ya dhambi zangu zote zilizopita sasa na zijazo kwa sababu ya damu yako iliyomwagika uliotolewa kwa ajili yangu nipo huru kutoka kwenye nguvu ya adhabu ya dhambi asante kwa kushinda kifo Leo nakumbuka na kusherekea zawadi ya thamani ya uhai ulionipa kupitia damu yako kwa jina la Yesu. Amina. Good morning church. My name is Sixabi Wong Morgan and um, I'm just going to give a little testimony and then I'm going to read what she just read but in Spanish. And um, Last night I, I was at the Florida State game, and it was amazing seeing all these people chanting and, and, and screaming from Florida State, which is my team. And um, I envision the same, all of us worshiping the Lord, you know, um, praising the Lord the same way. And um, I feel so honored to do this, and when Pastor sent me a text and told me about this, I feel this big um, weight um, on doing it because uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read in Spanish, and this will represent the 500 million Spanish-speaking people in all nations around the world. So I'm going to pray in Spanish. I know some of you can understand and some of you, you won't, but it's just what Kelsey just pray. Señor Jesús, habiendo dejado que entraras en mi corazón y en mi vida y que hayas aceptado la máxima pena de muerte pero el perdón de mis pecados, vengo con humildad hacia ti para que examines mi corazón en este día. Revélame cualquier pecado, rebelión o falta de perdón que no te haya confesado y que esté dañando mi relación contigo, Señor. Al tomar este pan en simbolismo y representación de tu cuerpo que fue inmolado y quebrantado por el perdón de mis pecados, recuerdo y celebro tu fidelidad hacia mí y a todo el que participe y reciba de ti. Tomo esta copa en simbolismo y representación de tu sangre que fue derramada en la cruz. Reconozco que tú eres el supremo sacrificio por mis pecados pasados, presentes y futuros. Tu sangre derramada y tu cuerpo quebrantado y lacerado por mí. Soy libre, soy libre del poder y la penalidad del pecado. Señor gracias, gracias por tu victoria sobre la muerte. El día de hoy recuerdo y celebro el precioso regalo de vida que me has dado en el nombre poderoso de Jesús. Amén y Amén. Good morning. My name is Mitch Pael Kitan, Mitch Pael Kotant, and I am going to read the communion prayer in Haitian Creole for you today. Um, this is my native language, and it represents the people in my home country of Haiti, and also the 43 million people in this beautiful country, and those who are part of the diaspora and in the islands of the Caribbean who speak this language. 
Seigneur Jésus, moi venu devant au matin parce que recevoir et moi recevoir en docteur moi et dans la vie moi. Moi accepter ou te mourir pour pénalité pour tout péché moi. Moi venir avec humilité, moi baisser devant pour qu'à examiner que moi. Je dis découvrir tout péché moi pourquoi confesser retirer et découvrir toute rébellion avec tout péché moi pourquoi demander pardon parce que m'pas vle yo un péché moi-même avancer dans relation moi avec ou matin pendant mon pendant moi prend pensa les représenter la vie qui t'est mort pour moi moi songer et moi célébrer fidélité au ou gain pour moi avec fidélité ou gain pour tout monde qui dans salle ça et nous recevoir moi prends ta ça pour représenter sang qui t'est coulé sur quoi pour moi et me réaliser c'est au même qui t'est plus grand sacrifice pour tout péché moi péché moi fait déjà péché m'a fait connia dans présent et péché me bra le fait dans futur à cause de sang qui t'est coulé sur quoi pour moi et corps qui t'est cassé pour moi moi libéré de tout pouvoir et toute pénalité de péché moi dis merci pour victoire ça victoire ça nous gagne sous la mort je dis et matin ça nous songer et nous célébrer cadeau précieux ça Banoa, la vie passant qui coulait ce quoi. Non, non, Jésus nous prie ça. Amen. If you have your communion emblems ready, we've prayed prayers, we've sang songs. If you'll take the take the bread and just hold it, just for a moment, being mindful of the symbolism of the emblems of the bread and the juice. As you hold that bread together, the bread of life reminded of his broken body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let us take this bread Let's partake together. Let us take the cup, symbolic of the shed blood of Jesus, the prayers that were offered just a moment ago just remind us that this This cup is for every language, tribe, tongue, skin color. We are mindful of the shed blood and the forgiveness that comes. Let us take this cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Listen, we're going to go back and we're going to sing that in just a moment. But if you're here this morning and you need prayer, see the cross and the resurrection are just not theories, just not platitudes for seminaries and biblical studies. They are life-impacting principles. And if you're here today and you're away from the Lord, you need to come to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you need a healing in your body, what Brad read at the very beginning, by your stripes that he took upon his back, you can be healed, body, soul, mind. If you need a miracle this morning, we are going to celebrate with communion, with belief that God is going to change and transform lives. This is not a dead ritual that we do. This is a a living moment to experience the power and the presence of God. We're going to go sing that again. And if you need prayer this morning, I want for whatever reason, I want you to come to the front. Someone's going to pray with you. And we want to see God do something powerful in your life. Brent, sing that again. Sing that again. Thank you, Lord. Come this morning. Thank you, Lord. Across the building, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
This morning, give him praise. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you change hearts. Lord, you change lives. You're a miracle-working God. What happened on the cross, what happened in the tomb, Lord, brought spiritual life and hope and healing to everyone that lives today. Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you. We thank you for the transforming power, the healing power. Brent, lead us in this song this morning. If you need prayer this morning, if you need a miracle today, I want you to come. We're going to believe God's going to touch you this morning. Thank you, Lord. 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 We praise you today. We praise you today. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. Whose love endures to generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God Moses, the one, the one who opened up the oceans. I need you. I need you now to do the same thing for me, for me, for me. I'm standing on your 
Church. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages. 
Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you give the Lord a shout of praise this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.